The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. Hey, I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian, Dr. Michael Fleck. We welcome our listeners who tune in each week from around the world to listen to the Pet Buzz, the ultimate in pet talk news. Doc. Yes. What do you know about Ceresto collars? Well, I can tell you that they're manufactured by Elenco Animal Health. The Ceresto flea and tick collars ideally provide dogs with eight months worth of protection against both fleas and ticks. The collars are intended to slowly release their active ingredients, spreading them over dogs' bodies so they kill fleas and ticks before they bite. Elenco has sold more than 33 million of them in the last 10 years, making the collars one of the most popular pest prevention pet products. Well, you're going to be interested to hear this. A congressional subcommittee called for the Ceresto collars to be recalled. Here's why. So after they were linked to thousands of dog deaths and illnesses last year, the Ceresto flea and tick collar were the subjects of congressional inquiry a few weeks ago. This was back in June from a subcommittee that urged a recall on the popular collars. Ahead of the hearing, the Subcommittee on Economic Consumer Policy, made up of members, U.S. representatives, you know, House of Representatives, um, released a 24-page report outlining its concerns with the Ceresto collar. It linked about 2,500 pet deaths and more than 98,000 health incidents to the use of the collar. In urging the Ceresto recall, which Elenco has thus far declined to issue, the subcommittee outlined its case against the collars. Canadian regulators decided not to allow Ceresto sales in their country. The collars were approved through a flawed review process from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, that's the EPA, and the Ceresto collars had much higher incident rates than other flea and tick collars. While the Elenco Animal Health President, and CEO Jeffrey Simmons told the subcommittee the callers passed some 80 tests set forth by the EPA to gain retail approval. And also related to this situation, the Pet Poison Helpline, basically their uh, management said the helpline had received about 500 calls about the Ceresto caller since 2015. However, the vast majority of these calls concerns dogs ingesting the collar, either theirs or a companion dog. So what do you do, Doc, if people are worried about this? Well, if you're worried about it, obviously talk to your vet. There are other ways to help control pests in, in your dog besides the use of Ceresto flea and tick collars. If the reports of death and illness linked to the collars concerns you, then you should look for another preventative option. Your vet should be able to point to alternative products. For instance, there are flea prevention pills or topical medications that can be applied to your pet's fur to save off the pests. You can even fit your pup for a different flea and tick collar if you're so inclined. In the end, it's up to you to do what's best for your dog. You know, the funny thing about this, Doc, is that 
not such a long time ago, we were talking about what you do if your pet has a bad reaction to flea and tick meds. So I thought this was just so appropriate to pull this piece of information and to share it. And it's true. You have to do what's best for you and your dog. And if you're worried, you're always good. You should always talk to your veterinary as a sounding board, right? Oh, please do. Please do. Their office is always helpful to help make sure that the, the health of your pet is a priority. Well, Doc, let's get on with talking about the show. Give us the rundown. We're talking about the best places to travel with your dog and don't laugh, but the newest animal to become a connoisseur of dog poop. <laughs> As summer temperatures soars, dogs are at risk of potentially fatal heat-related illnesses, and certain ones appear particularly vulnerable. So joining us today to talk about heat-related illness is veterinarian Dr. Benjamin Brainerd, from the University of Georgia College of Veterinary Medicine. Dr. Brainerd is board certified in both veterinary anesthesiology and emergency critical care. He serves as an associate editor for the Journal of Veterinary Emergency and Critical Care. Dr. Brainerd, welcome to the Pet Buzz today. Well, thank you so much. It's very nice to meet both of you and I appreciate the invitation. Thank you. So. Dr. Brainer, can you review with us heat-related illness and how they affect pets? Absolutely. I think one thing to consider, you know, just sort of thinking about it in a general sense is that it's okay to get hot and most animals, including people, have different mechanisms to get rid of that extra heat. Where animals get into trouble is when they're unable, you know, when they're generating more heat in their body than they're able to dissipate to the environment. And so that if you're generating more heat than you're able to get rid of, that is sort of what brings us or leads an animal to develop heat-related illness. And I appreciate your terminology because there's actually heat-related illness as part of a spectrum. And so while I think we're familiar with the concept of heat stroke, which is sort of the far end of the spectrum, we can actually see animals affected by what's called heat exhaustion as well. And that kind of is a prelude heat stroke and is something that owners should be really vigilant and aware of. Yeah. I mean, I know with Hammy, my English toy spaniel, he gets sometimes stressed from walking outside and then plus with the heat. And then he's trying to like pan his way to coolness. And I immediately at that point, like pick him up or squirt him or mist him down so that he can try to stay cool and that his body temperature doesn't get super hot. Yeah, and that's really important. And especially, so there are a couple of risk factors that influence how dogs are able to dissipate their heat. And toy spaniels, and uh, probably to a greater degree, animals like bulldogs or French bulldogs, dogs that have a shorter nose, that we call brachycephalic dogs, they seem to have a limited ability compared to long-nosed dogs like Labradors to dissipate that heat. There's two different ways that animals get rid of heat. One is that they will lose heat to their environment through their skin. So you'll notice as dogs get hotter, their ears will, the pin of their ears will become red, their gums will become red. All of that is their blood vessels dilating to get rid of heat. And the other way they do it is by panting. And in brachycephalic dogs, the dogs with the shorter noses, they have a decreased ability to move large volumes of air. And so their ability to lose heat through panting is limited compared to dogs with longer noses. 
And I hope the French Bulldog people are listening to this because, as we know in this country, the French Bulldog, I think, is the number two, according to AKC registration, is the number two dog. Plus, people in this country are just French Bulldog crazy, as well as English Bulldog crazy. So this is especially, this question was especially for you, as well as my ETS peeps. You had a question, Dr. Fleck. Can you also tell us what other dog or dogs have certain health conditions that put them at risk? Yeah, that's a great point because there are some aspects that are breed related or sort of conformational. And there are other aspects that we actually can have impact on. So one of the big things that we can do for our pets is to keep them slim. Another thing that influences the ability of animals to to really hand effectively can be obesity. And so if you have a pet who is carrying around a lot of extra weight, it makes that just that much harder for them to dissipate some of that heat. Other pets that we see that are sort of overrepresented in terms of those who present with heat stroke are also some of the really large breed dogs, mastiffs and and, uh, animals like that. And I think probably they're just generating a lot of heat for their body size. I will also add, it's a little bit different depending on where pets grow up. And so if you have a pet that is already acclimatized to heat and humidity, so for instance, a, a dog that's grown up in Georgia or Florida, they tend to have a higher heat tolerance than, for instance, a dog who, if you're traveling on vacation and you've just brought your dog down from the Northeast down to Florida, they may have a tougher time adjusting to that hot, humid weather uh, simply because they're not acclimatized to it. And you know what? I know what you're thinking, Dr. Fleck. <laughs> I can read it right now on your face. You're thinking that since so many people have moved to Florida, as well as from the Northeast, from California, have moved to Florida, as well as Texas and Nashville, three of our top non-tax states. I know exactly what you're thinking, (laughs) that people need to be careful if they've just relocated to some of our larger and non-state income tax states. Yeah, and their behavioral patterns where they the, the states where they came from, Doc, is uh, maybe they were walking their pets at a different time of the day than what you can in Georgia or Florida. I mean, maybe as the sun's coming up or before the sun is coming up or as the sun's going down or after the sun's going down in our two states, especially coming from the Northeast or the Midwest, or California. Sure. I mean, I just think, um, and also we we have to take into consideration global warming. I don't know how people feel about that, but it's hotter. And especially you have to think about not only the temperature, but the heat index. Well, we have a lot more questions for Dr. Brainerd, but we have to take a hard commercial break. Stay tuned for more of Dr. Brainerd discussing heat-related illness, as well as celebrity pet buzz and flex facts coming to you in our buzzworthy style. What is he doing? Come on, man. Give me a little break here. Come on, man. When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy. www.epi-pet.com EpiPet is another proud partner of the Pet Buzz. So I'm a cat, and I just moved in with this new human, and she's got this little toy she's always playing with, all day long. Tap, 
tap, tap, tap, bloop, bloop. She can't put it down. There it is. Oh, and get this. She even talks to it. Last week, she asked it for Chinese. And guess what? Egg rolls showed up like magic. Humans have cool toys. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org. Now you know what your dog feels like waiting for you to go on your daily walk. Welcome back to the Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz. Enhancing the bond between pets and their people. Well, in segment number one, as summer temperatures soar us, dogs are at risk of potentially fatal heat-related illnesses, and certain ones appear particularly vulnerable. So joining us today to talk about heat-related illness is veterinarian Dr. Benjamin Brainerd from the University of Georgia College of Veterinary Medicine. Dr. Brainerd is board certified in both veterinary anesthesiology and emergency critical care. He serves as an associate editor for the Journal of Veterinary Emergency and Critical Care. Dr. Brainerd, welcome to the Pet Buzz today. Well, thank you so much. It's very nice to meet both of you, and I appreciate the invitation. Thank you. So, Dr. Brainerd, can you review with us heat-related illness and how they affect pets? Absolutely. I think one thing to consider, you know, just sort of thinking about it in a general sense is that it's okay to get hot. And most animals, including people, have different mechanisms to get rid of that extra heat. Where animals get into trouble is when they're unable, you know, when they're generating more heat in their body than they're able to dissipate to the environment. And so that if you're generating more heat than you're able to get rid of, that is sort of what brings us or leads an animal to develop heat-related illness. And I appreciate your terminology because there's actually heat-related illness as part of a spectrum. And so while I think we're familiar with the concept of heat stroke, which is sort of the far end of the spectrum, we can actually see animals affected by what's called heat exhaustion as well. And that kind of is a prelude heat stroke and is something that owners should be really vigilant and aware of. Yeah. I mean, I know with Hammy, my English toy spaniel, he gets sometimes stressed from walking outside and then plus with the heat. And then he's trying to like pan his way to coolness. And I immediately at that point, like pick him up or squirt him or mist him down so that he can try to stay cool and that his body temperature doesn't get super hot. Yeah, and that's really important. And especially, so there are a couple of risk factors that influence how dogs are able to dissipate their heat. And toy spaniels, and uh, probably to a greater degree, animals like bulldogs or French bulldogs, dogs that have a shorter nose, that we call brachycephalic dogs, they seem to have a limited ability compared to long-nosed dogs like Labradors to dissipate that heat. There's two different ways that animals get rid of heat. One is that they will lose heat to their environment through their skin. So you'll notice as dogs get hotter, their ears will, the pin of their ears will become red, their gums will become red. All of that is their blood vessels dilating to get rid of heat. And the other way they do it is by panting. And in brachycephalic dogs, the dogs with the shorter noses, they have a decreased ability to move large volumes of air. And so their ability to lose heat through panting is limited compared to dogs with longer noses. And I hope the French bulldog people are listening to this because, as we know in this country, the French bulldog, I think, is the number two, according to AKC registration, is the number two dog 
Plus, people in this country are just bold, French bulldog crazy, as well as English bulldog crazy. So this is especially, this question was especially for you, as well as my ETS peeps. You had a question, Dr. Fleck. Can you also tell us what other dog or dogs have certain health conditions that put them at risk? Yeah, very, that's a great point, because there are some aspects that are breed-related or sort of conformational. And there are other aspects that we actually can have impact on. So one of the big things that we can do for our pets is to keep them slim. Another thing that influences the ability of animals to to really pant effectively can be obesity. And so if you have a pet who is carrying around a lot of extra weight, it makes that just that much harder for them to dissipate some of that heat. Other pets that we see that are sort of overrepresented in terms of those who present with heat stroke are also some of the really large breed dogs, mastiffs and and, uh, animals like that. And I think probably they're just generating a lot of heat for their body size. I will also add, it's a little bit different depending on where pets grow up. And so if you have a pet that is already acclimatized to heat and humidity, so for instance, a, a dog that's grown up in Georgia or Florida they tend to have a higher heat tolerance than, for instance, a dog who, if you're traveling on vacation and you've just brought your dog down from the Northeast down to Florida, they may have a tougher time adjusting to that hot, humid weather uh, simply because they're not acclimatized to it. And you know what? I know what you're thinking, Dr. Fleck. (laughs) I can read it right now on your face. You're thinking that since so many people have moved to Florida, as well as from the Northeast, from California, have moved to Florida, as well as Texas and Nashville, three of our top non-tax states. I know exactly what you're thinking, (laughs) that people need to be careful if they've just relocated to some of our larger and non-state income tax states. Yeah, and their behavioral patterns where they the, the states where they came from, Doc, is uh, maybe they were walking their pets at a different time of the day than what you can in Georgia or Florida. I mean, maybe as the sun's coming up or before the sun is coming up or as the sun's going down or after the sun's going down in our two states, especially coming from the Northeast or the Midwest or California. Sure. I mean, I just think, um, and also we have to take into consideration global warming. I don't know how people feel about that, but it's hotter. And especially you have to think about not only the temperature, but the heat index. Well, we have a lot more questions for Dr. Brainerd, but we have to take a hard commercial break. Stay tuned for more of Dr. Brainerd discussing heat related illness, as well as celebrity pet buzz and flex facts coming to you in our buzzworthy style. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? EpiPet to the rescue. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, epi-pet.com. EpiPet is another proud partner of the Pet Buzz. Ever Pet knows there's a lot in your life that you worry about. We want to make sure your pet's flea and tick protection isn't one of them. 
Teva Pet offers vet quality flea and tick protection that has the same active ingredients as leading brands like Canine Advantix 2 and Frontline Plus, but that cost much less, which means you can give your pet total flea protection worry-free. Teva Pet, helping you and your pet live your best life. Online at TevraPet.com. That's T-E-V-R-A-Pet.com. And we thank Tevra Brands for being a proud supporter of the Pet Buzz. Now you know what your dog feels like waiting for you to go on your daily walk. Welcome back to the Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz. Enhancing the bond between pets and their people. So we are back with Dr. Benjamin Brainerd from the University of Georgia College of Veterinary Medicine discussing heat exhaustion and heat stroke. So appropriate for this time of the year. So why should pet parents know, Dr. Brainerd, the warning signs of HRI and, and what should they be looking for? That's an excellent question because I think it is important to recognize when your pet is becoming fatigued or starting to show signs of heat exhaustion, uh, partially because it prevents them from progressing to heat stroke, but also because there are some things that you can do at home before you get your pet to a veterinarian that are, can be really important and potentially save their lives. So as animals progress into heat exhaustion, you will notice animals will become fatigued, they'll become weaker, they may have vomiting or diarrhea, or they may just have an episode of collapse. They'll usually be panting hard. And you may, as we noted previously, you may notice that their uh, the inside of their ears is bright, bright red, or their gums are bright red. If you see that happening and you're uh, near any sort of water, um, the first step to do would be to get your pet wet. As I said earlier, the two main ways that pets get rid of excess heat is by either radiating it through their skin or by panting. By putting some water on there, you can encourage evaporation of that water and it can very rapidly help to cool your pet. It doesn't even need to be cold water. Just water and a breeze can save your pet's life. So if your pet shows some signs of having heat-related illness or HRI, what should a pet owner do? I, you know, I think probably stop what you're doing. Get your pet to a shaded area. Get your pet some fresh water. And as I say, if you know, if you have a thermometer, you can take your pet's temperature. But quite honestly, if you're concerned about that, just get your pet wet. It's not necessarily useful to put wet towels on them because those towels, as they lose their heat, will heat up and then they'll hold heat in. So our preference, at least in the emergency room, is we make pets very wet and we put a fan in front of them because that encourages both evaporation and convective cooling, which is the most effective way to cool them down. I think if you're just starting to see signs, if your pet is just looking a little bit peaked and you know not having signs of collapse or vomiting or diarrhea, I think you can, if you can very rapidly bring them inside to a cool shaded place, give them some water, you may be able to, you know, kind of mitigate the signs right at that point. Yeah, car, air conditioning. If you're at the dog park, just take them to your car. I would always carry towels and water with me anyway. So, and extra water balls. But I think if you're at a dog park scenario, the best thing to do is pick them up, put them in the car, right? Absolutely. And I think the fresh water is a good point. I was recently down at the beach and, you know, there are some people, there are other dogs on the beach, but it's all salt water. So there's Mm -hmm. nothing for them to drink to cool down. And even though you'll get whole body cooling, if you get them wet in the ocean, they're not going to be able to drink that. So having fresh water, anytime you're going out, you know, going out hiking, going to the beach, going anywhere with your pet is, is really important in general. So since heat illness can be fatal, how can we help our dogs stay cool during the summer? 
I guess, should swimming be on the agenda? <laughs> I, you know, if you have it, I've had dogs. I had one dog who was a dachshund and the back legs never quite communicated with the front legs. And she, <laughs> she would always kind of torpedo whenever she would try to swim, but she did seem to enjoy it. But if you've got a dog that loves the water, absolutely a great way to stay cool. I think the main dogs that we see coming into the emergency room are dogs that have been left outside without shelter, without any sort of cool area, without fresh water. And so if you're doing something like that, I think it's really critical that you have an animal. They've always got access to a shaded area. They can always get inside. And as we started earlier, restricting exercise. I mean, this isn't 1 p.m. in Georgia in the summer is not a time to go jogging with your Mastiff. And I mean, I've seen that even in Philadelphia. So it's not just the Southern states, you really need to be aware of, as you say, the, the temperature, but also the heat index and the humidity, because if there's a lot of moisture in the air, it makes it more difficult for animals to lose heat by panting as well. Well, Dr. Brainerd, thank you so much for the tip about the redness of the ears. That's a warning sign. And thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate your visiting with us and discussing such, really, it's timely right now with, this, with the heat of the summer. And can you give us a website where we can learn more? Yeah, I think the AKC actually has some really nice websites, um, both the AKC Foundation and also the AKC proper has some nice websites on heat stroke. I forwarded you the link if you want to uh, have them, but they're just at akc.com. Really useful for pet owners, give you a list of things that you can bring along with you to keep your dog safe. And um, at the end of the day, we'd rather you stay home with your dog than showing up in the emergency room with the with a dog with heat stroke, because once you hit heat stroke, things can be really serious. And um, we we love treating them because we can usually save them, but it's a long haul for, for some dogs that are really profoundly affected. So prevention is critical. key. It's definitely key. Plus, I mean, no one wants to think about their dog dying from heat stroke, but it's not only that, it's also you could have some really hefty vet bills. Absolutely. So like we always say, Dr. Black, being forearmed is being forewarned. So I think it's really important. The other thing, everybody, I want you to recognize, you don't have to have a purebred dog to go to the akc.org website. We, As you know, we have many people from the AKC on this show. Some of the people I love truly uh, who show uh, dogs and who work at the AKC. So it's a great site for great information to learn a lot about your dog. So like I said, if you have a mixed breed dog, don't be intimidated to go there. Use the information to your advantage. So I'm glad Dr. Brainard mentioned that. Well, just to remind you as we wrap this segment up, that was Dr. Benjamin Brainerd from the University of Georgia College of Veterinary Medicine discussing heat-related illnesses. And now for Celebrity Pet Buzz. Well... Country Life at English Magazine that has been around for 120 years, catering to the UK hunting, shooting, and fishing set, has put an amusing twist on one of their readers' favorite pages. Well, don't laugh. The page is called Girls with Pearls page. The queen has been featured at least five times on this page, and now Prince Charles's wife, Camilla, Duchess of Cornwall's dogs, are now the new Girls with Pearls. Appearing in the upcoming issue of Country Life, Camilla's dogs Bluebell 10 and Beth 11 sport her pearl necklaces for an adorable photo shoot to celebrate the magazine's 125th year anniversary, as well as the Royals' 75th 
birthday in July. So Camilla's 75. Who knew? Well, both dogs were rescued from Battersea Dogs and Cat Home in London, of which Camilla is that organization's patron. So I wonder if there's going to be a new social media trend when this comes out called Bitches in Pearls. I don't have girl dogs, but I threw a set of pearls on my dog. You'll see white pearls and black pearls. So check it out on the social media channels. I think that's priceless, right, Doc? I think it is, too. Bitches with pearls. I think it's really funny. Okay, now it's time for Flex Facts. Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Fact or fiction? Just the Facts, ma'am. You want answers! I want the truth! Doc, so what's the topic for the day? With a lot of rain, there's always puddles of stagnant water, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, these puddles can be breeding grounds for mosquitoes, but it should also be noted that stagnant water can be life-threatening to your pet. Specifically, blue-green algae can endanger the life of your pet. We've talked about this before. We have. But it's so important. This algae forms on or near bodies of water during warm weather months. It can be found in ponds and lakes, freshwater, backyard fountains, or even on rocks. Your dog can be affected if they drink from or swim in these contaminated sources. So what are the signs if your pet ingests or swims in this contaminated water with blue-green algae? Well, signs of blue-green algae toxicity include seizures. You're thinking neurological panting, excessive drooling, respiratory failure, diarrhea, disorientation, vomiting, liver failure, and or even death. Moreover, it can cause one hefty vet bill. You know, this is a syndicated show, so we want to know where blue-green algae can be found. Blue-green algae has been found in Texas, Vermont, Oregon, North Carolina, Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, South Carolina, Rhode Island, California, Florida, Minnesota, and Maine. Yeah, that's about 17 states. Prevention is key, right, Doc? Don't allow your pet to drink from stagnant pond, lakes, or other bodies of water that have bluish-green scum on the surface or around the edges. Always carry water for your dog, especially when you're out and about in the great outdoors. Blue-green algae cells can also stick to a pet's fur and can be ingested when the animal cleans or grooms itself. So think twice before allowing your pet to jump into a body of water. Anything else, Doc? That's all the Flex Facts for the week. You know, that was a really good segment because that's definitely a big problem, not only in the summer months, but throughout the year. But I'm glad that you brought it up. I see at least a case a week. Do you really? I do. Wow. Well, up next, the I Likey of the Week and travel and lifestyle writer, Becca Blonde, is talking about the best places to travel with our dogs this summer. We'll be back in a buzzworthy moment. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, 
Visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Now you know what your dog feels like waiting for you to go on your daily walk. Welcome back to the Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz, enhancing the bond between pets and their people. Hey, we're back. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I am veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. And now I want to give you the 411 about the I likey of the week. That's the way it has to be because that's the way I like it. It's genius. I like it. I like it. It's to die for. I like it. You know, as Doc mentioned in our last segment, blue-green algae is so dangerous for not only our pets, but for ourselves. And it's caused by nutrient pollution, one of America's most widespread environmental problems. Nutrient pollution comes about by excessive nitrogen and phosphorus in the air and water. The nutrients are an important part of the aquatic ecosystem. They support the growth of aquatic plants and algae, which provides foods and a habitat for fish and other organisms that live in the water. But here's the catch. What happens when too much nitrogen and phosphorus enter the environment? Well, too much of these nutrients in the water causes algae to grow faster than the ecosystem can handle. Many of these blooms are evil, harmful, like we said, to wildlife, pets, and humans because they can produce harmful toxins and bacterial growth. That's why if you're living near water or spending time on water, testing for blue-green algae toxicity is so, so important. So I would consider Five Strands Blue Green Test. It's the world's first rapid diagnostic test to detect a broad range of hepatoxins in a single test. All you have to do is fill the container with water, the water that you're surrounded by, allow it to stand for 10 minutes, and there's going to be a chemical reaction. Just it'll heat it up. Then you place one drop of the water on an analysis slide aperture and review the results. The test is $35 at fivestrand.com, but this test could protect you and save your dog's life. So I think it's worth it. What do you think, Doctor? absolutely worth it. Okay. And now our next guest is on the phone, from what I understand, Doc. Okay, let's go. So vacations are better when you bring your dog along. In many cases, you meet new people, learn more about the locale you're visiting, and you can take advantage of opportunities that you normally wouldn't do if your pooch wasn't with you. So our next guest is going to give us some recommendations about the best places to vacay with your dog. Becca Blonde, an award-winning travel and lifestyle writer, is going to give us some insight into the best places to travel within the U.S. with our dogs. She is the author of more than 30 Lonely Planet travel guidebooks across five continents. Hello, Becca. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Pet Buzz. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. And this is Poppy, my frequent traveling companion. And who have you got with you? I have Poppy. She is a eight-year-old rescue Chewini. What a great one. So start out by telling us the best place you have ever traveled with Poppy, your dog, and why? (laughs) Poppy, I think, wants to leave, but she's ready to jet set to another destination. Yes. (laughs) The best place we went last year was Italy. It was an incredibly dog-friendly destination. It was actually relatively easy to get there with a pet, as long as you have a small pet that's flight-sized. And they're very dog-friendly, very easy to travel, 
just a great location. We went to the beach. We went to the cities. You can sit in the cafes. So that's my favorite international destination. And domestically, I love traveling around my home state of Colorado. Colorado is beautiful. I used to spend two weeks every summer there in the Black Canyons hiking. Love the mountains. So I do like hiking and I do love the state of Colorado. You know, Becca, back in March, you co-authored an article on planetware.com about the 15 best dog-friendly vacations in the United States. I love the article and I wanted to share it with our viewers as well as have you on the show. What are some of the best cities to visit in the Pacific Northwest and why? That's one of my favorite destinations. So one of the most dog-friendly cities is Portland. They have more dog parks than per capita than anywhere else in the U.S. And it's just a super dog-friendly city. You have a lot of outdoor seating at breweries, which are usually always dog-friendly, and that's a great place to go. Seattle, Washington is another top one. If your pet enjoys pup cups, this is where the original Starbucks is located. So you can take them for a pup cup. There's a lot of dog-friendly hotels. One of my favorite dog-friendly brands is Kimpton because they never charge for pets regardless of size. So what you're paying for your room is what you're going to pay. You're not going to have an extra fee attached to that, which really can save you a lot of money in this era of high gas prices. And you know what's nice about Seattle, which is one of my places, other than my love of oysters, it's a good walking city. You can walk around the city with your dog, and that's always fun. And I like that. Right, Becca? That is very true. Yes, you can definitely. It's a great city for walking. It's a compact kind of downtown area. There's a lot of attractions that you can get into with your dog. There's a lot of parks that you can walk around with your dog. So, you know, depending on the size of your dog and how much your dog likes to walk, it's a great summer travel destination. Sounds like a good idea to me. Yeah. Well, you know, although the price of gas ain't cheap in California, what are two great cities in the largest state in the nation where your dog and you can travel and have a good time together? Well, one of my favorites is San Diego. San Diego has a huge dog culture. It Even in July, if you happen to be going this month, there is, and your dog likes to surf, there's a surf dog competition on Dog Beach which is what it's actually called. Um, A lot of the beaches are dog friendly. The water is relatively warm. So your pup can go in and swim. Um, So San Diego is one top choice. Another top choice is San Francisco, which again is another great walking city, has a lot of dog friendly hotels, dog friendly beaches, and again, a lot of outdoor patio type seating at restaurants where you can actually bring your dog in. Becca is a girl after my own heart because San Diego is one of my favorite places ever to go with my dog. There's so many great things to do. You can take surfing lessons, which I thought was fantastic. I did it with Roan. She -hmm. took surfing lessons. The other thing that I really liked is um, I went to an exercise class with my dog and that was really kind of fun like yoga and just exercising. And then there's all these crazy classes you can take too. Like um, there's a how to avert rattlesnake class. Oh, I didn't take that one, but I wanted to. But anyway, it's just a cool place. And I love the fact that there's so much culture. About those two great cities for walking in, both Seattle and San Francisco. You know, you have to walk up the hill and down the hill and up the hill. And down there. It's good exercise, especially if you have a dog. It gets them out and about. You're not a big walker. Well, no. I've done it before there in San Francisco with my daughter, and she was exhausted by the time we went from downtown uh, to 
which park is it? In the middle of town. It was a long ways, but it was great if you would have had a pup with you. That have been more fun. Yeah, probably. Well, if you've just joined us, we're speaking with award-winning travel writer, author Becca Blonde, about some of the best places to travel in the U.S. with your dog. Becca, for those who like the great outdoors and really like hiking, especially with our dogs, can you give us some great canine hot spots? Yes. So one of my favorite cities is just an hour from me in Denver. It's Colorado Springs. It is Colorado's second largest city. And it is a fantastic hiking city for dogs. So many outdoor hiking trails. You can go to Garden of the Gods Park. You can even take, drive your dog up to the top of Pikes Peak, which is a 14,000 plus foot mountain. Or if your dog is really active, you can hike all the way to the summit. Really need to have your dog in great condition to do that. But there's tons of trails. And one of my favorite parts about Colorado Springs is after you're hiking, you can go to Pub Dog Colorado. And Pub Dog Colorado is a restaurant that was designed specifically for dogs. There's a ton of outdoor seating where your dogs can be off leash. There's a full dog menu and your pup will get a kick out of the fact that the humans are served in dog bowls and the dogs are served on normal plates. I got to check that place out. That's kind of cool. That's definitely cool. What about uh, some other places that you can think of? So Sedona, Arizona is another great outdoor hiking destination for your dog. It's a little bit hot in summer, but coming up in fall, it's a great time to get your dog out among the Red Rock Canyons. So that's one of my favorites. Bar Harbor, Maine. What about Maine? Bar Harbor, Maine. Yes, yes, yes. How could I have forgotten Bar Harbor? So Bar Harbor is great because it's right by Acadia National Park, which is one of the most dog-friendly national parks in the United States. There is more than, I think, 100 miles of hiking trails that are dog-friendly, and it's just a great destination. It's a great summer destination. It's not too hot. It's um, perfect for canines to get a lot of sniffs, and your doggo will like it. And you know what's really nice about both of those places, Sedona and Bar Harbor? Such beautiful topography. I mean, it's a great place if you're a photo buff like I am to take your camera and get some great pictures of your dog and maybe somebody can take a nice picture of you with your cell phone of you and your dog. Yeah. And I think Colorado Springs is where the Air Force Academy is also. It is. And and from what I understand, if you walk your dog, you have nothing but beauty to look at while you're moving along. Yeah. Some, some handsome army guys. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get down to brass or the Or the handsome or beautiful, yes, yes, or beautiful, beautiful women. Air Force girls. Okay. Yes. So, Becca, Doc and I have some more questions. Can you stick around for another segment? Uh, sure. Okay. Well, you also need to stick around with us, too, because later on the show, we're bringing you the scoop on poop in this week's global pet news and some good pet vibes and tell me something good. Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch-snuggling, ball-chasing, face-licking, and, of course, companionship. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the treat stare. How intuitive, and now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, the happy dance will come in with this group. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Satchmo is to meet one. Visit the shelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. So we're back with Becca Blonde, travel and lifestyle author of 30 books. She's speaking with us about the best places in the United States to travel with your dog. You had a question, Dr. Fleck. Yeah, you know, in Florida, we have a lot of people 
we of course are on the Gulf Coast, but they have homes in North Carolina where they spend the summer. Because it's so hot and miserable here. It's not hot and miserable. It's warm and humid and things. So talk to us about taking a dog-friendly vacation in North Carolina. So one of my favorite spots in North Carolina is Asheville. It is a bohemian city. It has a lot of outdoor activities. You are right near the Blue Ridge Parkway, so you can take a drive up Blue Ridge Parkway, tons of hiking trails, get out, take a walk with your pup in the woods, let him pick up all the good smells, lots of dog-friendly hotels for all budgets. And then there's a number of attractions where you can walk around the grounds from the Biltmore State to the French Broad River Park. There's wildflowers. And again, as you can tell from my segment, I enjoy going and having a microbrew at the end of <laughs> a hike. And there is a huge micro craft brew scene in Asheville. And I always like to plug breweries just because they usually tend to be super dog friendly. You're usually able to bring your dog either inside or outside on the patio and they always have water bowls. So yeah, that is one of my favorite places. You know what I'm curious now? <laughs> what is Becca's favorite dog beer? My favorite dog beer? Yeah, favorite I mean, dog. Yeah. no, I mean, I guess they have some beers named after animals, don't they, or dogs? They do, actually. In Colorado Springs, there is a whole brewery that has that's named after dogs, and it is now quickly eluding me. Um <laughs> Don't worry about it. You can let us know on social media. Yeah. That would be the yeah. greatest thing to do when you have time because we've got to wrap it up. I have one last yeah. question. Go but, ahead. But, but I have one more comment to make medically because we're traveling and we're walking okay, in the woods. Okay, okay, okay. we got to wrap we're it up soon, Dr. Floridians. Fleck. Uh-huh. Okay, Floridians don't have to use tick prevention for Lyme. They don't have the deer tick here in Florida. But when they go to North Carolina, they do. So reminding all the Floridians when they travel to North Carolina, make sure that they're using protection for not only the fleas, but for the ticks. You know what? I think that's a great comment. And I think it's a great comment that when you're planning your travel vacation, you need to make sure you know what relevant dangers and parasites are out there. So I think that's an excellent point. But Good. I have one last question. Okay. For those dog lovers who want a fulfilling dog-centric vacation, but not but might not necessarily have a dog, where do you suggest they sojourn? Uh, you could head out to Kanab, Utah, which is where Best Friends Animal Sanctuary is. And you can sign up to volunteer there, spend a day with a lot of the homeless dogs and help out. And I think that's a great place to give back and also to a beautiful destination. Awesome. Awesome. Becca, that was a fun interview. Thank you so much for joining us today. We definitely got some good ideas now. Thank you so much for having me. And if you want to follow along, Poppy has her own Instagram. It's Jet Set Pup. And that's where we post a lot of content. We're going to Cleveland later this month. And we'll be bringing you all of the top dog-friendly locations there. That's awesome. You know, I've been to Cleveland numerous times with the dogs to do TV. <laughs> but I really haven't explored in a dog-friendly way because I've only, you know, when I do a TV segment, I'm only in a city for basically 24 hours right. but cleveland is fun and it's nice and the people are nice and down Clun cleveland has all these great murals you can see and stuff like that well anyway great ideas from becca blonde an award-winning travel writer and author of 30 books 30 books that's big time that's fantastic. yeah so we have posted becca's article on our social media channel so you can learn more about her dog travel insights for va great vacations 
with Fido. I'm up next. And now, Pet Buzz news from around the globe. And now it's time for global pet news. Well, you know, dogs have a reputation for sampling poop, whether it's their own, their cat siblings, or other animals. Gosh, you know, we know it's so disgusting, but now there's another animal that's a foodie or a connoisseur of dog poop. A new study has revealed that dog poo forms a significant part of the diet of red foxes living in the pine forest in the Scottish Highlands. The study was a collaboration between scientists at the University of Aberdeen, the University of Grenoble Alps, Forestry and Land Scotland, and Karen Gorms Connect, and has been published in the Ecology and Evolution Journal. It had initially set out to examine the diet of foxes and pine martens to better understand how the two predators managed to coexist in the pine forest despite having very similar eating habits. But researchers found... That dog feces has a caloric content similar to foxes wild prey. And it's much easier to hunt with the foxes feeding on it, especially when wild prey is scarce. The study said it was unprecedented for one species to eat the feces of another in such a large quantity. It found that domestic dog DNA was the second most frequent species found in fox stool samples. At about 40%. So 40% of these foxes living in this pine wooded area are eating dog poop. It also highlights how the behavior of foxes living in the pine forest of the Cairngorms can be affected by visits from human and pets. And in particular, how important it was for dog walkers to properly dispose of dog feces. In addition, the availability of dog feces and its consumption by wild animals creates risk of disease and parasite transmission and of introducing new pathogens. Big picture, clean up after your dog wherever you are in the world. I know, I can look at your face and it's like, what? I question. I question because if that's a big part of their diet, are there a number of stray dogs in the forest? There could be another of stray dogs in the forest. There could be a lot of people living who walk their dog, who use it as an exercise trail, and they're just leaving dog poop everywhere. So I think it's a, I think that's a good point. There probably are some stray dogs living in the forest and a bunch of people who are just not picking up after their dog. But I think as we know, because we're moving in this direction globally where we're getting rid of you know, forest and, and deforestation. We're engaging in that and we're living closer to animals. I mean, we see it with bears going in our garbage, but we're also seeing how our living with our dogs can affect other wildlife and vice versa. I mean, uh, puddles of water, Giardia, you know, same thing. So I think we have to recognize that it's important to clean up after our dog because dog waste is not fertilizer. Do you know what it's called when they eat their own poop? Coopia. Coprophagia. 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 Well, where rabbits eat their own poop, so they engage in cop no food. Right, but the, really the big picture is clean up after your dog please. wherever you are in the world. And please. News of the day got you down? No worries. Pet trendologist Charlotte Reed is here with Tell Me Something Good. This is a necessity like air and oxygen. Tell me something good. 
Okay, now it's time to wrap the show, and we love to end it with Tell Me Something Good. Well, from generation to generation, we all want to have a better understanding of each other, don't we? Yes, we do. And one of the ways that we're doing that is through our social media channels. Well, I saw this crazy TikTok video. So these millennials, Matt Shepard and his girlfriend, Vita Isaacs, take the family for a restaurant celebration because they're going to celebrate Zumi the Cockapoo's second birthday. Well, the family came all out, including the grandparents, to celebrate. But what's priceless is the dog's grandpa's reaction to this celebration. Now, imagine the family's out at a restaurant. They're fixing everything. The dog is sitting in a chair at a table, and the mom puts a birthday hat. The dog mom, Vita, puts a birthday hat on the dog. You should have seen grandpa's reaction. I think, you know, he was probably thinking, I can't believe I'm sitting in a restaurant with a dog. But he chose to say nothing. And I think that was, um, you know, appropriate. (laughs) And the accommodation, if this is what his uh, son and the girlfriend are doing, then I think he wanted to go ahead and support his new grand dog. Well, anyway, 6 million TikTok subscribers watched the video and it received thousands of comments and it got over 500,000, almost 600,000 likes. I'm curious what you guys think. I'm going to put it on our social media channels. So tweet or post what you think or write us a team at the Pet Buzz and tell me what you think. I'm just curious. Would your family come out and celebrate your pet's birthday? What would your mom say, Doc, if you said you were having a birthday party for your dog? She'd probably accommodate it because she loves me. She probably would. But, you know, I mean, I don't know. I think my mom would probably come out. But there are a few people I think would think it was absolutely crazy. Well, Well, that doesn't mean they don't think it's crazy, but they'd still come. Right. Sure. They'd probably come for the free meal if you were were paying. Well, anyway, this story came out of Newsweek, so I thought it was priceless. Well, anyway, like we said, it's always too soon to wrap the show. And before I go, I want to give you a preview of next week's show. Next week, we're talking about doggy depression and how to keep your dog calm during thunderstorms. This hot weather brings a lot of thunderstorms all over the country. So we need to keep our dogs calm. Doc, I'm going to ask you, can you thank our guest? Yeah, thunderstorms. That's a hot topic. Special thanks to our guest, veterinarian Dr. Benjamin Brainerd. And Becca Blanc. And of course, we must always thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin coat and ear care products everywhere. If you have any questions, write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. We will cover it on next week's show. And if you've missed any portion of the show, visit our social media channels as well as your favorite streaming channel and listen to the linked podcast on Monday morning. Most importantly, remember, we're here each week to help you Take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. www.thepetbuzz.com Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.